there anything more wholesome than a boy and his dog? A loyal companion to the end, a friend, and a confidant. Very few people have friends in this world in which they will be willing to do anything to make sure they're safe. But what happens when you are the reason why they are no longer safe? Could you deal with the guilt? Join me tonight as we venture into the darkness as I bring you another tale I'd like to call Wanna Play? about 10, my family moved. We ventured to a semi-suburban part of Georgia, where my parents opted for one of those older neighborhoods rather than the newest cluster of homes. The neighborhood we selected, Ivy Cascades, possessed a haphazard layout, with the homes and roads built along the tops of deep ravines and steep hillsides. My parents settled on an older, two-story model brick home situated at the top of one of these ravines. I remember standing in our driveway, looking down the hill in wonder. It was one endless expanse of ivy with thickets of underbrush, weeds, and trees clinging to the precarious banks. I tried as hard as I could to make out the bottom, but it was lost in the swirls of green foliage. As we moved everything into the house, I gradually gained more and more freedom as my parents found less and less use for their scrawny son. I turned to the family dog for entertainment, Dyson. Our two-year-old Labrador Retriever, named after a vacuum brand, took to our massive yard with glee. I hunted with my father, and we trained Dyson to live up to his breed. Though he got distracted from time to time, the robust lab never seemed to tire of romps with trees. To placate to my boredom, I took Dyson out to the driveway and found a red ball in the garage for him to fetch. Together, he and I made our way to the edge of the driveway. Come on, boy. What's this? Wanna play? Wanna play? Dyson nosed my leg and spun in circles, his eyes fixated on the ball. I tortured him for a moment longer by holding it aloft and pretending not to know what he wanted before a pitiful whine finally broke my cruelty. I launched the ball as far as I could, and Dyson went after it, a bolt of yellow shuffling down the deep ivy slope. My eyes stayed glued to the ball until it disappeared in the leaves. Never before had I thrown something so high or so far. I knew in reality that it was the angle of the ravine, but still a sense of power swelled in my chest. I waited for my loyal friend to return, eager to try it again. It took a little longer than expected, but Dyson reappeared, ball and jaw slowly clambering up the side of the hill. The ravine must have been deeper than I thought. Once he crested the hill, he plopped onto the side, panting and happy. I eased the ball free from his mouth and balanced it teasingly. He looked at me reluctantly, fighting between his desire to fetch and to loaf about. Eventually, the retriever in them won out and he stood. With glee, I whipped the ball as hard as long into the green abyss and Dyson followed it. 
This time I watched the dog rather than the bull. The lumbering yellow animal had all the stealth of a bulldozer as he tromped down the ivy hill. But eventually, he was swallowed up once more. I sat at the edge of the driveway, kicking my feet and enjoying the Georgia sun on my shoulders. It took a couple of minutes longer this time around till I heard the rustling of my faithful lad trumbling up the ravine again. He looked tired, but happy. A long pink tongue poked out to one side of the ball as he picked his way back up the hill, reached the top of the incline. I hugged him as tight as I could and spoke to him in a sappy voice, telling him what a good boy he was and the way that my father did when he retrieved the bird. There was a couple of scratches along his snout and his jowls, but I figured they were from the thorns and branches or something. He dropped the ball in my lap and pushed his head against my chest, clearly wanting more of the same treatment. I indulged him for another few minutes, building up to what I wanted in return. I held up the ball one more time, and he whined. Something almost human glinted in his brown eyes. Hesitancy, perhaps? Maybe fear? I didn't listen. I should have, but I didn't. I was ten years old, fused with the power of throwing the ball farther and longer than perhaps any other ten-year-old preceding me. Dyson pressed his head into my chest again as I stood. Come on, boy. Just one more time, I said, rubbing his ears. He wagged his tail a couple of times, giving me a reason enough to launch the ball once more. Dyson followed after it loyally navigating the ivy-laden terrain with impressive speed. I watched him go, sat down to wait. The swirls of bright green leaves, deeper, emerald ivy soon drew me into a trance. They moved with the wind, relaxing me as I waited. I must have held this trance for 15 minutes, zoning in and out of the world around me. A thud from behind me caught my attention. It was my dad, dropping a couple of boxes in the garage before slamming the door behind him. I shifted my weight nervously. Dyson still hadn't returned. I waited for another ten minutes, then another five, then an extra ten to be safe, but there was no sign of him. There was a number of things that could have happened. When we went hunting, there was always the possibility of our dog getting distracted or injured. But this was a residential neighborhood, not the wilderness. I went and got my dad. After explaining what had happened, he told my mom to take me in for a while and he went to go looking. The thick vegetation would be difficult to navigate without proper equipment, so he dressed in his hunting gear. My heart beat wildly as my mom tried to calm me, but I didn't listen. A sense of fear had been mounting in my chest. Not outright terror, but dread. Together, my mom and I waited for hours as my father combed through the ravine in the surrounding area. I could hear him throbbing about the undergrowth, cursing on occasion as he slipped on dead leaves or ivy or something. He had found no sign of Dyson. We all came to the same hopeful conclusion that he got distracted and wandered off, that a neighbor had found him and would call us soon. But I could tell my father didn't share my doubts. That lab was trained 
loyal and able-bodied on difficult terrain. Rubbing his eyes, my dad told us that we'd continue searching tomorrow, put out flyers, and talk to people. So it would have been difficult, being as that we had just moved in. By the time my father had returned, it was close to nightfall. We opted for early dinner, which passed in dreary silence, and then an early night. I went to bed after kissing my parents goodnight. My dad held my back for a moment, reassuring me, telling me that it wasn't my fault. I suppose he thought that it helped, but even at my age, there was an awareness to these heavy situations where I knew some of the blame, if not all, was mine. Sleep did not come. My bedroom, which sat at the back corner of the house with a big window that overlooked the ravine, waved in leafy shadows. Falling into a similar trance as earlier that day, hours passed this time, but I didn't care. The shadows were comforting in a way, just as endless sea of leaves. I'm not sure when the scratching started, but I noticed it when my clock read 2.38. It was a feeble, pathetic sound, emanating from the base of my door. It sounded very much like someone was digging at it from the other side. I shivered and leaned over my bed to lower my eye line to the space beneath the door. I could just make out something black, scrambling at the wood flooring. It dug with ferocity. Gulping down my fear, I let my hopes of Dyson's return guide me to the door. I slipped across the room, feeling the shadows accompanying my movements as I neared the door. Slowly I grasped the door handle. Yanked the door open to reveal nothing. An empty hallway with boxes cluttered at the end and patchy soft spots of paint covering the walls. At the other end, the hallway dead-ended in a curving staircase which led to the front door. My thin chest was pulsing as I lingered in the doorway of my room, listening for any sounds. Part hope and part fear kept me there wanting it to be Dyson or nothing at all. Worst of all, it could be something. I heard the scratching again. It came from down the hall, from down the stairs, outside the front door. For a moment, I considered just going back to bed, but the guilt, longing for my dog, led me to the hall, down the stairs and to the front door. At this time, I didn't hesitate. I could hear the scratching at our door, clear as a bell. I grabbed a handle and yanked it open. Again, nothing. Just an empty stoop with a brick walkway leading off to the driveway. With a sigh, I shut the door and went back to my room. The adrenaline wore off pretty quickly. My PJs were soaked with sweat, so I got changed before climbing back into bed. This time, sleep came quite quickly. Something awoke me at 5.42 in the morning. I wasn't sure what. Outside, it was a dark gray overcasting with just the barest hint of sunlight creeping through. I didn't hear the scratching or see shadows on my ceiling or black things crawling in my door. It felt oddly surreal and tranquil. I slipped from my bed and got dressed. There was something I 
wanted to see. I slipped into the garage and opened it from within. It slid open slowly, so I ducked underneath it. From there, I ventured towards the edge of the ravine again and peered into it, trying to find the bottom. I wasn't sure how far or how deep my dad had ventured down there, but he'd been gone for hours. He didn't know about the scratching either. Why couldn't my father, a lifetime hunter, find our big yellow dog in the middle of a suburban neighborhood? I tried to focus. My ten-year-old mind envisioned nothing but my father and my dog venturing down into the same ravine. Both were trained. Both were comfortable with the wilderness. Both had every reason to come home. Then the revelation hit me. Or at least the most logical solution the kid could think of. My dad had been searching for our dog. And our dog had been searching for a ball. You didn't look for dead things the way you did for the living. Yes, this dead thing was a ball, but a search for an inanimate object was more invasive than a hunt. My dad would have scanned the area for a dog, but Dyson, in a search for the ball, would have probed it, invading it with his heightened sense of smell. And he had been successful the first two times. Something went wrong that last time. I had to discover what it was. Rubbing my chin, I headed back to the garage and dug through a couple of boxes until I found what I was looking for. Another rubber ball. It was a long shot, even for a kid, but I could think of nothing else. Plus, the sky above was an ominous gray with shaggy clouds so dark they looked purple and looming. I needed to do this now. Treading back to the edge of my driveway, I tossed the ball into my slim hands. It was in neon blue, so at least it would stand out. I took it in one hand, cocked my arm, and lobbed it down the slope. As it sailed down, I slid after it, skidding through thick tangles of ivy. The ravine was deeper than I thought. Far deeper. At least 500 feet of sheer, dead leaf-covered slope shrouded in a layer of foliage thicker than the clouds above. As I descended, I noticed something else. The trees that grew along the ravine's precarious edge darkened all that was beneath, leaving everything that grew 60 feet or more from the top in a perpetual twilight. It all looked stunted, gnarled, with stubbier trees and pitiful bushes fighting for the limited sunlight shining through their brethren. I made the mistake of touching one of the trees and pulled back to find its trunk slimy and moist. A black, oily substance coated my fingers. I had to keep from gagging as I reminded myself why I was down there. There was a ball somewhere down below, so I kept going. As I delved deeper into the rotting depths of the ravine, I noticed the only plant life that did not change was the ivy. It blanketed the slope in emerald tendrils, stealing its share of sunlight and choking out the other plants. More than once, I saw trees absolutely covered by its infectious dominance. The trees resembled giants taken over and petrified under the cloak of ivy. I kept searching for the ball, hoping to spot an artificial bloom in the world of undulating greens, browns, and blacks. 
further I went, the thicker the ivy grew. My method of descent was to press myself against the leaves and slip down little by little. My foot extended in front of me, and my right foot remained hitched to the side of the hill. I continued to slide, feeling my way around, trying to ignore the ivy giants hunched over. About halfway down, my left foot hit a deadfall. Some leaves caked the top of a cluster of roots, and it broke right through before I realized I hit empty air. I tumbled forward, crying out, slamming into the dirt hard. It didn't hurt terribly, but the impact did knock the wind from my lungs. I sucked in a breath, gasping like a fish as I scrambled to my feet. A clod of mud and roots lodged itself in my hair, and I shook it free. Something glinted in the corner of my eye. The ball. It lay nestled at the base of a large cascade of ivy, which draped down like a curtain. It must have fallen off from the top of the thing. I reached forward to pick up the ball, but cut myself on something sharp when I tightened my hand around it. Quickly, I withdrew my hand, sucking on the finger and tasting the liquid as it seeped forth. I took a closer look. Whatever cut me was metal, rusty, and curved. It seemed to follow straight up from the ivy slope with a similar angle to the cascade of ivy. I guessed it was an old sewer or something, completely overgrown by ivy. A cold feeling of unease slithered down my back, similar to what I felt that night. Above a low peal of thunderclouds echoed through the trees. But I'd be damned if I headed back now. Ever so carefully, I leaned forward and lifted one of the strands. Something dull, brown glinted back at me, along with a sudden flash of yellow. I almost screamed until I realized it was my dog. I found him. I leaned forward to give him a hug, but he growled softly remaining absolutely still. I looked at his eyes. Something almost human resided there. His tail thumped softly, but the rest of him remained shrouded in ivy. I tentatively reached a hand forward and lifted another vine free. Dyson licked my hand once as I screamed and recoiled. He lay on his side. A massive wound tore through his middle. The poor lab's intestines were strewn out on the cruddy metal floor, snaking back into the darkness of the tunnel. My heart pulsed and my ears roared as blood rushed to my head. I almost threw up, but my dog, for the final time, gave me an almost human look before something yanked on his guts and pulled him back into the darkness with inhuman speed. I sat there, babbling, pale and cold. I had thrown the ball down that ravine three times, and he'd retrieved it every time, in spite of whatever resided in that sewer. I knew I had to get out of there, to get away. My lab warded me off with his growl. He saved me, but I couldn't move. I peered into the darkness, tears flowing freely, mixing with the blood stains on my hands. And something bounced forward. From out of the darkness, it was a ball, a red ball. It was crusted in blood, and two words were smeared along its surface.
the play. for my inconsistent uploads. There have been some things happening within my personal life and I let it get the best of me. But I'm back and everything will go as planned. I have some new ideas in which I'm willing to roll out coming this spooky season, aka October. So be on the lookout for that. And same as always, if you enjoyed the content, please leave me a review, subscribe, and if not, Maybe share. Maybe somebody else out there might like it. Anyhow, guys, thank you very much for sticking with me.